Welcome to the Ottawa Business Journal's live broadcast of How to Evolve Your Workplace Culture for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I'm Michael Curran from the Ottawa Business Journal. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think we've got a great show. Let's acknowledge off the top that today is International Women's Day. So I think any discussion about equity, diversity, and inclusion is very appropriate. We know that EDI can help foster a more productive workplace, create a place where employees uh, feel safe and can thrive. But a recent Gallagher survey found that 60% of employers still lack a clearly articulated EDI strategy. And by that, we mean more than a couple of sentences in a policy book. With so many approaches to EDI training available, it's understandable why employers feel overwhelmed and confused about where to start. If you want your team to benefit from diversity training, but still have questions, this broadcast is for you. You've come to the right place. Today's presenter is from PMC Training, which has provided us with a diversity trainer who believes a compassion first approach is the best way to create a safe, sp safe space when, and have a constructive conversation around EDI. The trainer will be helping us kick off our EDI strategies. And at the end of today's show, uh, you'll hear more about a full day workshop. So not just 30 minutes of content, a full day workshop happening on April 4th. That workshop is specifically for OBJ readers, and you can learn how to take meaningful, concrete steps to break down barriers and bring your team together on this topic. All right, without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Today's guest is a parent. He's a mindful leadership educator. He's a networker, he's a connector, and he's an entrepreneur in the renewable energy sector. He has traveled and uh, lived in many different parts of the world. He now calls Ottawa home, very happy to say that. And it's accurate to say, I think, that he brings a lot of real-world experience to this EDI discussion. Please welcome Lalit Gunarate. Hello, Lalit. Hi, Michael. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm, I'm very pleased to have you here. I'm very excited to have this discussion. I think it's an important one. And as I said in the lead-up, Lalit, I think it's one where many employers know they need to do the right thing. But it, this can be a sensitive topic. It can be somewhat controversial, and they're not sure where to start. And I think you're the right person, Lily, to get them started. So let's let's uh, learn a little bit more about you just off the uh, top. So you've you have a diverse background. We've talked about this in the lead up to today's show. In fact, you know, you said something to me earlier today that really kind of struck a chord with me that you've lived as a as a majority in a community and also a minority in the community. And that kind of leads you, Lalit, to his perspective on EDI. Yes, thank you, Michael. Yes, I was born in Sri Lanka uh, and a very long time ago. Um, and, uh, and there I was a majority. And then when I moved as a 14-year-old to Canada, um, I, uh, I found myself a minority. And also at the butt end of some violence, uh, you know, in those teenage years in Toronto, back in the 1970s. So, so, so then uh, having um, educated uh, myself in, in Canada, I moved back to Sri Lanka and I became a part of a majority community again. And also experiencing a, 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 a couple of horrible, violent uh, events in Sri Lanka in terms of a 30-year war, which was between two communities, as well as insurgencies between uh, youth who 
were underprivileged against the so-called elites of the country. So, so I've seen how um, when we don't address uh, equity and, and diversity and, and inclusion issues up front, how these things can end up being violent too at the end of the day. So, so those two experiences of being a majority and a minority also has given me a lot more empathy to, to also, even as a majority uh, community in the middle of a war, uh, I, I've, I, I, I felt that, I guess, a certain privilege I had, for instance, at a checkpoint, an army checkpoint, that I know I, I'm, the chances of me getting hassled because I was from the majority community was much less than somebody from a minority community. So, so those are some of the things that I took for granted uh, at the time. So, so I know it's a it's a very complex, sensitive subject, uh, as you said. Um, it's it can be a polarizing subject too, uh, as we know. Uh, but at the same time, we know, especially in North America, as this continent is becoming more and more diverse we have to have these conversations up front and and some of these conversations can be uncomfortable uh, we, we we become vulnerable in these conversations uh, because we are really facing up to some of uh, some of the some of the unconscious biases that we have grown up with as as the country also becomes much more diverse uh, as in times to come too so so unless we address these issues up front we may face issues later on because you got to also remember uh, many of the new people, many of the immigrants coming to this country also may be coming from monocultures where they themselves have not been exposed to multicultures. So they bring their own unconscious and subconscious or implicit biases to the table too. Uh, so, so those are all, all uh, areas that we need to bring to the surface and have skillful conversations with. And that's sure. why I call it has to be compassionate conversations. For sure, I love, I love, uh, I love that point. The other thing I won't get you to go through your career because it's so it's so extensive, uh, Lalith. But I think one of the things that people will appreciate about you today is that you have a significant business career. You've been an entrepreneur. So, like many of the people tuning in today, uh, you haven't spent your life, and that's not to say there's anything wrong spending your life as a consultant. But you've run businesses. You understand the realities. Of, of the bottom line and HR strategies and how they have to blend together. Absolutely. I, I, I'm part of a startup even now in Ottawa uh, as we speak now and, and I'm engaged in several other businesses, ongoing businesses. So it's, it's, it's a day-to-day -day process as well. I feel the privilege now as a consultant, as a trainer, as a coach, I still get access to organizations, so so I understand the dynamics of organizations in terms of the leadership culture that can then uh, inform how that organization can be successful or not. So so that that those insights for me have, are valuable. Um, also, before we move into Ottawa in 2011, uh, after I sold uh, uh, my uh, renewable energy business, which I uh, we started with our partners back in Sri Lanka. Um, maybe 40 years ago now. Um, I worked as a consultant internationally in various areas uh, in renewable energy, in poverty, from working from, say, Vietnam to Bangladesh, India, to various African countries at a very grassroots level where we addressed a lot of these equity and diversity issues too. Uh, and then I, I also, when I started my training business in 20, 2001 in Sri Lanka, I started working a lot, especially because of the war, 
in the reconciliation process, bringing communities together. Um, so worked with, for instance, a British council as an intercultural uh, trainer. I was, uh, for that, I was trained in England too. So, so, so I, so those, those. Uh, those I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm blessed to say that I've had those opportunities. I feel very grateful for those opportunities where I've been able to work with a variety of cultures, not only cultures, um, situations, uh, socioeconomic uh, situations uh, from, uh, you know, one, one of the issues that we face is economic uh, issues and socioeconomic class issues, uh, gender issues um, to... Um, to to because so many things because of the complexity of EDI, if you look at the big picture, even if you're a small organization based in Ottawa, the politics of the country is going to affect it. The policies that the country uh, government then imposes, then the geopolitics we are seeing that panning out right now. Um, then the economy, economic disparities, economy itself, then the social uh, economic issues. This uh, then for to add to that technology which has sped up our world in an unprecedented way where we have seen how communities can be divided because of technology. So, so it's a very complex uh, uh, situation we are facing in the, what we call the modern techno-industrial world, uh, which has come to today's situation now. That's great. Well, listen, I, as for all these reasons, I think specifically because of your real world experience living in uh, all different spots of the world, encountering people of uh, various backgrounds and then that business experience. It's uh, It makes you a great guest today, so we're very happy to have you. Lily, we're going to show uh, everyone now, we're going to bring up our agenda on screen. As always, we've divided today's show into three topics. The first topic will be the business case for EDI. So we'll be talking with Lilith about that. Topic number two, we'll start talking about the components. So if you're getting serious about building an EDI strategy, uh, what are the components that you should be looking at or considering in topic number three, where to get started and and how to avoid uh, common pitfalls. Uh, sometime around 1225, we'll take questions from our live audience. So we have people watching on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and so on and so forth. So you can comment on those platforms and we have all your comments uh, aggregated. In fact, I'll bring up some of your comments or questions on screen close to uh, 1225 there. And uh, and then we'll be telling you at the end about this uh, special section for OBJ VIPs on April 4th. So that's what's coming up in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So sit tight and uh, get ready to absorb lots of great information with Elite. So let's, uh, Lalit, let's jump into our first topic, which as I said, is the business case for EDI. So often we know that it's the right thing to have equitable and diverse and inclusive workforces. Um, and, and we want that for sometimes societal benefits or social reasons, but there is a business case for this, right? Lalit, uh, tell us more about that. Absolutely. Research shows that at the outset, that performance in organizations which are inclusive are uh, 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 increased. Now, for instance, I read a McKinsey report from 2020 uh, from North America, which said that there was a 36% increase in the bottom line when the organization was genuinely in an authentic way, <clears throat> has uh, inclusive uh, policies uh, in the organization. So, so, so that alone is, I think, should be motivation enough for organizations to look at it. As we also know, 
more and more, especially the younger generation, are expecting organizations to become less hierarchical, um, more more inclusive. So so instead of the the top down process, more of a circular process of managing and leading, and that leadership then creates a what what I call an appreciative culture. When we create an appreciative culture uh, based on a compassionate approach, and it does not mean that we do not hold people to account. There are no disciplinary and those kinds of processes on the ground. But if you create that kind of a culture from the top down, then then you will see that EDI becomes an easy process for an organization to embrace. So there are clear, there's clear evidence that the morale is high in organizations where people feel included. So you got to remember, if you have one person in an organization who's not happy, for whatever reason, could be because they're a differently abled person or, or a gender or, or somebody from a different racial background, religion, who may not feel accepted in the organization. And that one person can bring the energy level, the organization morale down. And, and especially if that person is a strong personality. On the other hand, you also want to make sure that everybody in the organization contributes to 100%. So, so if face, say somebody feels that they they because of their difference, because of their diversity, that they don't feel that they have a sense of agency within the organization uh, to give feedback, to even give critical feedback that they would be fearing to do so because they might think that there may be repercussions, uh, to contribute to the positive development of the organization with innovation and creativity, all those things will be will be hampered. If, say, in even one person is feeling that they don't feel safe in the organization. So it's there's a huge business case for really creating a safe uh, space for people to come and work. So for me, when I, when I coach leaders, or when I coach managers, I say, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? And that's an indication. That's the barometer uh, in terms of whether you want to get out of bed and go to work or not. And if, if people are feeling that, you know what, ah, it's another day of drudgery. I don't want to go back into that place. I don't feel respected, appreciated. Then we, we, we're going to see a, a performance of the organization in terms of productivity, uh, quality levels, all of that may suffer. Yeah, I, I love the productivity argument. I think you're bang on. And you had another good point that I'll just uh, bring to the fore again is that in um, uh, we there is a talent crunch that that many companies are experiencing now. And if you don't have a pipeline that includes equity and uh, diversity and inclusion, then you're by definition not looking to recruit as many people and you're missing lots of great people that can come onto your team. So I think you've done a great job, Elite, at uh, identifying the business case. Uh, for EDI, I want to move to the second part of this, uh, which is the component. So let's say there's someone watching right now, Lalit, and they're they've bought into this idea. We need to have more of a, you know, an active, thoughtful strategy on EDI. Where do they start? Like, what are the main components uh, that they should consider? So first of all, there has to be a leadership culture that is genuinely wanting to open up the organization. Now, e even if the organization is currently, say, fairly not diverse at the moment, as we know that as demographic demographics even in Ottawa is changing, we're going to see more and more people coming in. So the leadership of the organization first, to, first has to get 
their heads around the fact that the next generation of people they're bringing into the company may be different people. So how do we then create the policies, first of all, uh, uh, in terms of hiring uh, policies uh, to uh, um, also in terms of, first of all, even attracting people to the organization. So if the organization has a good reputation out there, as you know, social media is so quick to now say something about, to, to tarnish a reputation of an organization. So when people are looking to come into the organization, they go and check to see whether there's anything that can tarnish the organization's image. So that, again, to attract good talent, first of all, you need to, 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 to have those things in place. Then, as I said, the hiring process and then what kind of protocols that you're going to do, then uh, establishing the policies, frameworks, first of all, to accept EDI in terms of starting from hiring, starting from performance management, starting from disciplinary action when things do go wrong, mediation processes, uh, then performance evaluations, then uh, the opportunities for people to move up within the organization to make sure that within the organizational structures, the institutional structures, there are no barriers that will be there for anybody uh, to, to go get ahead in the organization and perform at their best. So, so those are the most important components I feel that has to okay. be established. And I, I just like to also just make this one statement about organizational values. Now, many organizations have articulated a, a vision, mission, and values. Yeah. And values become an important part of the process too. So if somebody sees the organization has, has uh, espoused a certain set of values, are you walking the talk with those values? And most organizations have respect, professionalism, and integrity there. So EDI falls within that values framework. So, so again, so how do you connect uh, the EDI processes? Because you got to remember, EDI is 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 is, uh, is a trend that is based on a couple of realities that is happening. Diversity is a thing that is happening right now. Canada is is a diverse nation, and we're going to get more and more diverse people coming in. In order to create equity and equality in the organization, now equality I don't think is something that we can achieve 100%, but it's an aspirational thing, right? We have to then create policies in the organization, which is a which is inclusive policies. So that's so so if we pay attention to the process uh, along those terms, I don't see how we can go wrong. It it occurred to me when you were speaking, Lalit, that um, that the policies themselves might be guidelines. So if I'm coming into a company and I'm uh, someone that, from a diverse background, one, I want to see that the company has thought this through. That there are policies in place, like they've they've seriously considered the issue. In other words, and secondly, I want to feel that if there's some policies in place, they are guidelines that can help potentially resolve any issues that might pop up. Is that a, a fair way of looking at this? Absolutely, absolutely. And okay. I would even say before introducing EDA policies, I would do a survey. I do some focus group uh, uh, meetings with the you know if you can get through to the entire community of your of, of your team then you will see uh, 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 what's what's on in people's minds and and you, you may also then see resistance because even if one or two people resist this process they'll say oh you know this is a waste of time blah 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 uh, that one person 
can put a damper on the process and then create dysfunctionality amongst the team. So there'll be some people who say, no, let's go for it. There'll be others. And especially if they have a strong sense of, even if they may be not having a position of, uh, uh, positional power in the organization, they may have organizational leadership power uh, the, the, at a personal power level. They can create those uh, coffee uh, 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 table conversations to, 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 be, to detract from this process uh, from moving forward in a, in, a, in a smooth way. Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful transition there, uh, Lalit, because in our third topic, and and uh, just a reminder, if you're watching live, we're going to come to you for some questions. You can use the comment uh, feature on any social media platform that you're watching on, whether it's YouTube or LinkedIn. Uh, get your questions ready. We'll have those. We'll be going to those questions in about uh, five minutes or six minutes or so. And, and you've started uh, topic three, Lalit, we've started touching on a little bit, is that there are some pitfalls here. So you know, if you've in topic number one, bought into the concept, there's a business case for this. We need to get serious. Number two, you've had those discussions internally and said, we're going to start building some policies in number th in topic number three, we want to talk about the pitfalls, because as you just suggested there, um, Lalit, I think there's some potential for this to backfire. So you, you better be careful in, um, in the implementation of this. Tell us, uh, tell us more about that, Lalit. Absolutely. A couple of things. See, if you espouse that you have these values and if you say that you have robust EDI, inclusive policies in the organization, if you're not walking the talk, that can create, that's, that's the first big pitfall. Then, as I said earlier, if you don't have the buy-in from, there's always a 10% who will not buy-in in that bell curve, right? But at least if you have conversations with them, if you can target them and have targeted conversations with them so they don't then get in the way of the process, uh, then that's very important. That's where compassion is important. Now, another thing that I do in the work is, so there's an organizational side of the EDI process that is, is institutional and the structures and the strategies and all of that. Then the individual is important. So I approach uh, EDI through a mindfulness lens, uh, especially when, when I'm dealing with, with uh, my own personal unconscious biases that I may bring to the table because those implicit unconscious biases we grew up with, they're hardwired into us. So the resistance that can come from very important people in the organization may be because of those unconscious biases are there. How do we have a gentle conversation with them? And that's what I'm finding that if I'm able to create a safe space, even in the training programs, where we are facilitating, I don't even call it training programs. This is not a training. This is, I say that we are, I'm facilitating some conversations because that's the first step that we need to take to bring out some of these hopes and fears vis-a-vis -vis the process that's now being established within the organization. And then when we also see where the fears are and where the hopes are, because as you see, the younger generation have a different way of looking at the world, looking at themselves too. So there are also generational issues because especially if leaders of the organization are, are, are baby boomers and you now have a cohort of younger generation of people joining in, there can be clashes, there can be dysfunctionality between those generations too. So, so the only way to do that is to, so I approach it through a mindfulness lens because I believe that when I, from a basic even meditation practice where I bring in the breath as a key, that's a compassionate practice towards me. I'm acknowledging my life force. And then 
I can then be, it'll be easy for me to be compassionate towards others who may have very different views from me. Uh, so, so that way, that's the way you build up this process and, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, so that's the other thing too. It's it, the change is going to be sequenced and paced over time. So we have to be very patient with this process too. And as long as there's authenticity in the intention that we are putting out there from the leadership of the organization, people will see that and there will be pitfalls along the way. There will be problems along the way. But how do we not go into a place of pessimism and fear and worry and then pointing fingers at each other rather than saying, okay, look, yeah, this is an issue. How do we deal with that in a more positive or optimistic way? It's um, so many good points that you touched on. Uh, number one, the leadership needs to buy into it. So this can't be like an HR department-led initiative. It needs to come from the top. But the key point is it can't be imposed. That's the other thing I'm really hearing what you're saying, Lalit. So this can't be from the top with HR. We're imposing a, upon this. I think what you said there is so wise is that you would need to have some very careful discussions with people try to create that safe space and then identify where people, hopefully there's no objections, but some of the objections that might be there and address them out front. So you don't have uh, employees who are trying to sabotage or resist the process. Is is that a fair uh, summary of what, what you're touching on there, Lalit? Absolutely, because you okay. create more morale issues and dysfunctionalities within the organization if you don't do it like that with have that kind of a holistic approach to the process yeah excellent listen so we're going to start looking for some live questions unfortunately i just realized Lee, we're having a technical issue with uh getting some of those questions out there so if you're on youtube uh i think your ability to comment has been limited unfortunately but i'll i'll ask some questions because i think we could we could talk about this for a long time so um Here's the, here was one of the key things uh, that I was thinking about, Lalit, when, uh, when you were speaking. And it's, can a company do this themselves? So, you know, if people are buying into the concept, again, of let's do this for business strategy, let's start getting some guidelines, let's have a proper discussion. Can you actually do that only with your internal resources? Or should a company, uh, is the best practice for a company to turn to an uh, uh, an outside party to come into the company and facilitate some of this. Any any points on that? Well, some of the bigger companies are all, already have EDI experts within the organization, okay. so I think that's that's a good step. Uh, and 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 they will have like social responsibility experts who are coming into these organs. So there's there's a, there's sort of that umbrella that's there. Uh, however, when organizations are facing some barriers. It's, it's always good to get a third party involved to facilitate some of these discussions. And also companies have their own organizational culture and own issues that are there. So bringing an outsider in to create a safe space where people can openly then talk. Uh, so I often become the mediator of these conversations between even team members and, and, a, and a leadership of the organization. And some of these conversations are difficult conversations and there's resistance to those conversations too. But at some point, even if there's resistance, the, the, the leaders of the organization know, okay, there's some dissonance that we need to address. Uh, uh, so whether it's EDI or whether it's a whole range of other processes, uh, it, it's the same principle. So bringing an outsider when, when there are things that you need to take 
some steps where you also enable people to be open and and be able to talk about their hopes and fears openly without a fear of reprisal or anything yeah. like that if that's the kind of culture that's there in the organization even if it's not there it's perceived so for whatever reason then then it's it's good to uh, good to get an outsider coming in and doing it yeah you know as you were speaking there it occurred to me that every organization has blind we we as people have blind spots and every organization has a blind spot as well right so if so i got your point that if you're a larger organization you might have a specialist inside but still there might be a blind spot in the culture that you're not seeing something so i can completely understand elite how you might want to turn to an outside facilitator at least to come in and consult with people and create that uh, safe space the second question i wanted to ask you elite is is a very practical one but i feel like we're really having a real world discussion i really appreciate that elite the companies are so overwhelmed by with priorities, right? They've got a priority to improve their technology, to increase their sales, to find efficiencies. Where does this one fit in? So what would you say if you've got a well-meaning CEO uh, who's like, I want to do this. It, we're just having trouble finding time to prioritize it. What would your response be? Well, I believe that diversity and inclusion is also a well-being issue for the organization morale and well-being it's it's foundational in terms of especially as i said multicultural uh, demographic which is now entering the workforce so so well-being of the organization uh, then if that's a priority so it's an it's a, it's an issue also how do we mitigate stress because if for instance th there are stresses that are arising from somebody from a different culture who gets em uh, hired into the organization now he or she says, look, you know, this is my culture. I need to now follow this culture. And if you, as an organization, say, yes, we respect other cultures, but at a practical level now, uh, suddenly at the workflow gets disrupted because this person has something else to do uh, that is uh, aligned with his or her culture. So so then those these are areas that can create conflict and stress too. And often I also hear now uh, from many people that I'm so scared to speak up. As, as as the kind of the cancel culture also is now coming to a to a level and I don't agree with the cancel culture that is evolving in that extreme where you're creating further divisions because you're you're judging and you're creating and 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 and, and who's judging who you know at the same time so that's why I talk about a compassionate approach because if that happens you're going to create more stress within the organization and then well-being is affected and when well-being is affected it's a cascading effect all the way down to productivity and profits and all that too yeah. so how do you then have that smooth as possible this is the way life is right it's it's vuka everything's volatile everything's uncertain everything's complex and ambiguous at best so what do we do as organizations and leaders to really address some of these fundamental areas Fundamental is exactly the right word. You know, when I was thinking about the question I posed to you, if your if your people aren't engaged, if they're not, they don't feel compelled to produce every day, then you know what greater priority is? There's no greater priority than that. So it yes. is a the, the perfect response to the question uh, I asked you. Listen, we're we're just over the uh, half hour mark here, and we want to uh, respect people's time. So in a couple minutes uh, here, we want to spend uh, a couple minutes. That is talking about a full day session. So of course you're 
engage with PMC Training. PMC Training, by the way, is an organization that's existed for decades in Ottawa. I've known of them since I think the 1990s, if not uh, sooner. They give lots of uh, very practical training. We have a special session coming up here on uh, April 4th. That's Tuesday, April 4th, a full day session. So that is to say something that goes from 9 to 4. It's a virtual session, by the way. It's on Zoom. There's a cost to it. Uh, this is professional full day training. So it's uh, 5.95, as you can see there on screen. Lalit, um, you've done this uh, full day session many times for PMC. So uh, if you if you have an audience of people here today, tell them about what they could expect in not just the half hour, uh, you know, surface level discussion, but the full uh, six to seven to eight hours on this. What what should they expect? Sure. And first of all, we will start with the big picture in terms of the demographic and what that what does that mean uh, at the, at the bigger picture level, and then we'll slowly. Uh, uh, dive into the, the organizational level and also then defining what these these things really mean at the end of the day. Um, and, and then in terms of then how do we create uh, the, how do we set, set up the organization? What are the first steps that we need to take to then establish these kinds of policies um, by understanding what they mean. And then I will bring in, so from the organization, I will also go into the individual uh, with the focus on the unconscious biases that we, we all bring to the table, including me, right? So, uh, and, and it's a work in progress, you know? So, um, so, so that's why I say compassionate. So I'll bring that mindfulness lens into, into doing that work internally to look at some of those implicit and unconscious biases and how, for instance, the mindfulness helps in the EDI process by by getting our minds because we our as we know our brains are a neuroplasticity is there that means we can change our minds about things. So some of those hardwired biases that we have come with, how do we un with compassion undo some of those things? To open up for a new future, and it's 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 really uh, um, setting the stage for a journey. I would say uh, by uh, and I call it an uh, an inquiring journey that that we can then have uh, in in discovering different ways of living, different peoples, different genders, different um, uh, generations who are coming up. So so it, 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 it's, it's going to be a kind of an open-ended process. It's going to be a little different to how I run a program within an organization where okay. I then bring in the values of the organization and I, I link the values and I look at the needs of the individual, the organizational needs. So it's going to be a bit more generic, but I also run it in a very... Um, interactive way. I encourage lots of conversations, Excellent. breakout groups, people come back. And so, so again, to create a safe space within that cohort who's going to come on the fourth to have some really exciting discussions. So if you have a diverse group of people there, you will also be able to have, a, a, there's, there's going to be rich cross-functional learning too, from bringing from your own experiences and organizations. So that's a way I would like to facilitate it. On That's the excellent. And we should point out there, it's a, it's not a giant group of people. It's a limited group of people. So uh, uh, there is the capability to, for people to connect and exchange ideas and, and be interactive uh, since the audience is limited. Lalit, you're such, um, you're such an insightful real world and uh, compelling speaker on this. I really do want to thank you. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest for us. 
And again, I think if you're watching this and you're an organization that needs to make some uh, real progress on the EDI issue, I urge you to uh, continue uh, hearing Lalit in his full day session. So thank you, Lalit. We appreciate all your time today and hope uh, many of people sign up for your course that's coming up. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity, Michael. All right. Thank Take you care. once again. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a great session with Lalit. Uh, uh, one of the best I think we've had in uh, in many months. Very, very compelling on, on an important subject. So as we sign off here, I just want to uh, give you a few reminders on OBJ. So uh, first of all, you should be visiting obj.ca uh, on the website. Uh, we update it regularly with local business news. If you're a real hardcore local business uh, interest advocate, I recommend that you sign up for OBJ Today. That's our weekday email newsletter. And by the way, have you heard the big news introduced about three months ago? We've launched a new program called OBJ Insider. It's a paid membership program. You get lots of uh, benefits and lots of value, I think. Uh, you get uh, exclusive uh, digital access. Uh, to in-depth stories almost on a daily basis. So a significant amount of um, uh, member-only content. You get um, our news magazine, which is now published on a quarterly basis, mailed to you. You get the book of lists. We just launched the book of list a few weeks ago. It's a $45 value, by the way. You get that mailed, as well as uh, the uh, business growth survey, uh, the Welsh Business Growth Survey, which will launch in June. So lots of reasons to become an OBJ Insider. Uh, to, to find this, go to obj.ca, nice short URL, look to the upper right, and you'll see a um, Become an Insider. It's a big red button. You can't miss it. I think you'll be very happy if you uh, if you join the Insider program. And uh, since most of you are watching us on LinkedIn, I'm going to ask one other thing. Please like this video and hit the red, uh, hit the red button to subscribe and a little bell icon and that will let you know when we're posting new videos or when we're live with a broadcast such as this. So thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you to PMC Training and Elite for sharing all of that uh, expertise and knowledge. I hope some of you signed up for that April 4th. Uh, for uh, all the people at OBJ, I'm Michael Curran signing off. Have a great day. See you soon. Bye-bye.